Um, and we're, today we're going to discuss the Tefillin campaign. Many of you, most of you might not know exactly what that's referring to, but many of you have been impacted by the Tefillin campaign um, in many ways um, through the campaign and the many campaigns that came after and the general idea that the campaign really pushed. Um, welcome, we're just getting started. Um, we're going to start, we're going to talk about the, it really started with something called the Rebbe's 10-point mitzvah campaign, the Lubavitch Rebbe, I'm sure most of you have heard of the Rebbe, um, he is the, uh, was the leader of the Chabad, is the leader of the Chabad movement, and uh, he instituted something called the 10-point mitzvah campaign. Before we start, we're going to discuss what is exactly a mitzvah. Now, a mitzvah, we all know a mitzvah is commandment, right? That's the way it's classically translated. Uh, but actually, a deeper meaning to what mitzvah means is uh, connection. It comes from the word tzapsa v'chippur, which means connection. A mitzvah is really drawing a connection between creator and creation, between man and God, um, the human being who, uh, who uh, performs the mitzvah, and with God who commanded it. Now, a mitzvah campaign was before, in, generally throughout Jewish history, a mitzvah was, was seen as a private thing, a private deed that was done at the synagogue or, or at home, um, you know, not something for the, you know, for, the, for the general masses. It was more for the quote-unquote religious Jews. Uh, and mitzvahs were just like small details that made up the broader you know, religious life. Um, you know, sort of pointless, if not part of the whole package. Um, the Rebbe kind of saw things differently. Um, the Rebbe felt uh, that a mitzvah is, is something that has infinite value. And it's a connection between man and God. It's, it's kind of a, something of cosmic significance, we can say. And has infinite value just by itself, one mitzvah at a time. And uh, the Rebbe would often cite Maimonides, the Rambam, who uh, used to say that we always have to look at all times that the world is like, you know, the old-fashioned scales that have, you know, two sides. Uh, you'll see in a lawyer's office, maybe. Uh, and let's say on one side you have all the good in the world, and on the other side you have the opposite. And just one good deed, everything's equal, one good deed on the good side, even the smallest, smallest mitzvah can really tip the scales completely to the side of good and really bring redemption for the world. Uh, the Rebbe would cite that often, and the Rebbe used that to really turn Judaism outwards. Uh, outreach was really not a word in the Jewish dictionary, so to say, uh, since biblical times. You know, uh, Avram, Abraham uh, did outreach, but really, since then, there was no Jewish public figure who, who made outreach a priority. Um, Besides, there was a rabbi actually in Spain, Rabbi uh, Moshe Kusi, I believe, uh, of Kusi, yes, uh, who encouraged Philin and mezuzahs and would, would travel throughout Europe, um, pushing that. Um, but really, besides that example in the 13th century, uh, the Rebbe was the first to really turn Judaism outwards in, in, a, in a way like that. And the Rebbe used it to issue a call, really, to all Jews, um, even those not committed uh, fully to religious life, uh, you know, quote-unquote not religious, ultra-Orthodox, that every mitzvah has infinite value, and it does not get diminished by the fact that there are others that you are not yet doing. Um, so the Rebbe decided, and, and one by one announced, ten different mitzvahs that I think the Rebbe felt were kind of beginner mitzvahs that are very easy to start, and... and uh, are powerful in their own right um, and are ideally suited to those who are looking for a first uh, you know, mitzvah experience. 
Um, this is really kind of like a culture war, uh, we can say, uh, you know, a word that's been used a lot lately. A culture war that the Rebbe fought and really won. Um, because, like I said, Judaism was really considered a private thing. It was something done at home, or something done in the privacy of, you know, of your house, with your family, in the shul, in the synagogue. You prayed, you learned, you, you, know, you did your thing, and that's it. The Rebbe made uh, you know, Judaism a, a, a outward, you know, public um, thing that's not just reserved for the you know, select few. And um, starting from really the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, all the way through the Rebbe, who, who took it to a whole new level. Now the ten mitzvahs, we'll just go over quickly, that the Rebbe thought uh, were good to start with, were Shabbat candles, uh, tefillin, mezuzah, on your door, uh, learning Torah, like we're doing right now, tzedakah, charity. Um, the Rebbe also thought uh, a good mitzvah was to have Jewish books in your home, um, to turn your home into like a little sanctuary of its own, um, keeping kosher, Jewish education, um, avas Yisrael, which means loving your fellow Jews, loving your fellow person as yourself, and family purity, um, you know, the mikvah, and then the 11th, which was like a, unofficially the 11th, but really the overarching theme of all of them was the Mashiach campaign. Mashiach is, is the, uh, uh, you know, translated as Messiah, but really redemption for the whole world. And these, all these things together can really bring us in that direction and bring uh, an amazing redemption to the entire world. Um, now we'll go on to what are tefillin. We're talking about the tefillin campaign, the mitzvah of tefillin, before we get into how the Rebbe started it and why it was. Uh, as successful as it was and as it is. Um, it says in the verse in Deuteronomy, you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be a reminder between your eyes. This is referring to tefillin. Now tefillin are a pair of black boxes with straps inside the black boxes. There are four chambers in the head one and the hand one. There's one. And inside these chambers are scrolls upon which are written some of the most important passages in the Torah, um, which include the Shema, uh, which many of us know, and others that really describe God's unity and oneness, um, God's power, uh, the miracles that were performed during the exodus from Egypt, and the unique power that God has to rule over both the physical and the spiritual worlds. Um, these are some of the fundamental ideas of Judaism, um, and the Torah says that we bind these to our arms which is across our heart, right here, and to our heads, um, as a physical embodiment of these ideas, um, and really a way to bring these spiritual concepts into a physical, and in, into a physical you know, uh, embodiment, and to bring it into our daily lives. So we're attaching our hearts, minds, and it comes down to our hand, we finish wrapping our hand, and our actions, our deeds, so our minds, hearts, and actions are all connected um, to God in a powerful way, um, foundationally in like the ideas of God's oneness and um, and God's power. Um, there's also actually three knots on the tefillin that spell out that are in the shapes of three different Hebrew letters, which spell out one of God's holiest names, uh, Shin and uh, Dalit and Yud. Um, there's actually a story. It was an Israeli general who had a, a private audience with the Rebbe. Um, who started the campaign, like I said. Um, and he asked, you know, the Shema, the prayer Shema that we say, um, is basically saying these ideas. So, shouldn't it be enough just to proclaim these ideas of, you know, God's oneness? Um, and why isn't that enough? So the Rebbe said, uh, you as a general should understand this more than anyone. Um, when you make battle plans, 
do you do you perform drills? Do you practice the plans, or is it enough to make the, you know just to write it on paper? And he said, no, of course we have to practice. So the Rebbe said, obviously we can you know understand the same thing here. It's not enough just to proclaim it or announce it. We really have to be a physical embodiment and bring it into our daily lives and show it and act on it um, in this special way of tefillin. Um, who puts on tefillin is men over the age of 13, um, every day besides Shabbos and Jewish holidays. Um, interestingly, it also says in the Talmud that God wears tefillin, and on our tefillin, we will discuss God's greatness. In God's tefillin, it discusses our greatness. It discusses how great the Jewish nation is. Um, now, moving on to the campaign... Um, it was the spring of 1967. Um, for those who know a little bit about Israeli history, this was one of the most difficult times, if not the most difficult time in Israeli history and probably Jewish history since the Holocaust. Um, it was about 22 years after the Holocaust and Israel's enemies, specifically Syria, Egypt, and Jordan, but really the entire Arab, Arab world uh, as a whole, um, were openly not just calling for Israel's destruction, but announcing that they are about to destroy Israel. Uh, they amassed hundreds of thousands of soldiers, tanks, artillery, uh, all the works on the borders of Israel. Um, in classic fashion, the UN basically picked up and left um, at the request of Egypt's president. Uh, he asked them to, if, he, if, they, if they don't mind to just move aside, and they gladly agreed. Um, the two superpowers of the world, uh, Soviet Union and the U.S., were both on. Uh, the Soviet Union was involved; they were actually helping um, the Arab countries, uh, providing them with arms and weapons. And the U.S. was remaining neutral. They decided that they weren't going to get involved. Um, the sentiment globally in the Jewish community was about as low as it had been since the Holocaust, um, and I'm not sure if it's a, if it has been that low ever since. Um, there was a general feeling of dread and that the end was near, the Holocaust is back. Um, there was a sense of really you know, approaching catastrophe. Um, so much so that, which is wild, they dug 10,000 graves in Israel. They were turning public parks into, into graveyards. They were expecting the end. Um, there were over 14,000 hospital beds prepared. Um, antidotes were stockpiled for po poison gas victims. Um, I mean, the entire country was mobilized, digging trenches, filling sandbags. Um, schools were modified to be bomb shelters. Uh, every taxi in the whole country, all buses in the whole country, everything was mobilized for the war effort. Um, again, they were fighting on three fronts against armies that were, 50, you know, against an Arab world 50 times the size of uh, Israel, which is roughly the size of New Jersey. Um, it was all in all a terrible situation. All the pundits and all the, uh, the talking heads were in agreement that uh, the end is near. Um, and amongst this entire you know, uh, setting of dread and, uh, and uh, bleakness, there was one voice that stood out, um, a public voice, which was the Rebbe, um, who was you know, one of the leaders of world Jewry and was widely known and regarded and the Rebbe was of the opinion that Israel is the city. I mean, citing the Torah, which says that Israel is the safest place in the world, and there is nothing to fear. And the Rebbe wrote at that time. You know, there's many thousands of American and foreign students that learn in Israel in the yeshivot and the, uh, and the rabbinical schools. It was a mass exodus. Uh, the airports were clogged, um, which not only, uh, you know, on its own was 
not great, but it also destroyed the morale, whatever was left of the morale in Israel, to see that anybody who had a passport, uh, a foreign passport, was running for their lives, uh, whether to the U.S. or to just even Cyprus, which is the nearest you know, safe country. Um, people were running. And when Chabad uh, students, um, disciples of the Rebbe, people that were in yeshiva and rabbinical schools throughout Israel, wrote to the Rebbe asking um, if you know, they should leave. The Rebbe was, was, was definitive and clear um, and sent many telegrams to the effect of do not go anywhere, stay. Things will, be, uh, you know, will work out great and there will be good news very soon. Um, this was, you know, grasping for any straw they can get. Uh, the entire country really grabbed onto these words. Um, they were published in every newspaper, even the far left socialist newspaper. Everybody was posted, you know, the most anti-religious newspapers were suddenly front page. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Grand Rabbi of Lubavitch is saying everything's going to be okay. Uh, really galvanized the country. Um, there were even people were reporting that they had seen uh, tanks that were driving to the front. On the side, there was uh, painted on "Kol Hakavod Rabbi Milavavich," which means you know, thank you to the Chabad Rebbe, to the Rebbe Milavavich. Uh, really gave a lot of hope, and uh, they were giving people were the army was printing and uh, organizations were printing pamphlets with uh, the Rebbe's encouragement and giving it out to all the soldiers. Hundreds of thousands of these pamphlets were printed. Um, the Rebbe's talks. Uh, the Rebbe, there was a. Lagba Omer, which is a holiday uh, about a month after Pesach, a month after Passover, they do a large parade in front of uh, Chabad headquarters in, in Brooklyn. Um, some 20,000 people, I believe, were there, and the Rebbe spoke about Israel and was unequivocal about how it's going to work out well in the end, and that talk, they actually put it on a tape, got it on a plane, right to Israel, and it was broadcast, I believe, the next day or two days later on Israeli radio, um, and the country really grabbed onto it, and it, it, was, it was massive for the morale of the country. Um, and now what the Rebbe said was, in addition to the fact that we know it's going to work out well, you know, we need to do something, and what can we do to help ensure that, is we need to increase in our you know, Torah and our mitzvot and our connection to God here in America and around the world and even in Israel. And the Rebbe said that he feels that the best way to do this and the most apropos thing and mitzvah to do in relation to what's going on right now is the mitzvah of tefillin. Now why? So I'll read to you now what it says in the Talmud and the Gemara about tefillin and about God wearing tefillin. It says, it says in the Torah that the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. And it's using this, this verse to prove that God wears tefillin. So it says, how do we know that God wears tefillin? Because it says, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Nishba Hashem bimino of Uzo. So it says, the arm of his strength, which is his left hand, right? It says his right hand is, the Lord has sworn by his right hand, which it says refers to the Torah. And the arm of his strength, which is the left hand, refers to tefillin. Why does it refer to tefillin? Because it says strength is talking about tefillin. So it says, how do we know that strength is talking about tefillin? How do we know that the strength that God gives his nation is tefillin? Because it says in the Torah, there's a verse that says, which translates as, all the nations of the world will see that the Lord's name is written upon you and they will fear you. 
And we know, and it says in Abraisa, it says it was taught by uh, our sages that this refers to the tefillin on the head, which the verses are written upon you, and the world will fear you when they see those verses, God's name written upon you. So the Rebbe said, we see in the Torah, and it's established that the strength God gives his people is tefillin. And not only that, when we wear tefillin, the nations of the world will fear us and will respect us. Now is the time we have to put in focus and make a real effort to, to put tefillin on, not only on ourselves, but to put tefillin on as many people as we can all over. Um, and to say that this became an overnight sensation is really an understatement. Um, every man or boy who owned a pair of tefillin in the Chabad community and really in other communities as well, literally ran out their front doors and started putting tefillin on every Jew they could find. Um, in Israel, they were you know, chasing people down in the streets and throughout America, all over the world. Um, so much so that about a week or two after the, about a week after the war, um, someone mentioned to the Rebbe that Israeli media was reporting that over 100,000 people in just a couple weeks, about two weeks, had put on tefillin. Um, the Rebbe had a classic answer uh, for those who know something, anything about the Rebbe. The Rebbe said only 100,000. Um, you know, the Rebbe was, was of the opinion that we celebrate success, but we don't dwell in success. Uh, we don't settle for what we, you know, our past successes. And we always have to keep growing. Um, so really throughout the war, and the lead up, this was a few days before the war, and then during the war, the six days of the war, you had people, Chabad, Lubavitcher, uh, 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 disciples of the Rebbe who were driving around and, you know, beat up pickup trucks right through the front, the war front, putting tefillin on every soldier, Every Jew, uh, you had people in America, throughout the world, really, really focusing on this. Um, and it became a real phenomenon throughout Israel and the Jewish world. And we know the rest is history, as they say. Within six days, there was a resounding victory. Um, a victory military analysts still, to this day, deem basically miraculous and impossible. Um, to describe the feeling of the Jewish world after um, was euphoric. Uh, it, was, it was a mass celebration. Um, to go from the brink of the end to, to a victory beyond measure was, was incredible. And so much so that they had recaptured you know, the heart of Jerusalem, the Jewish capital. And for the first time in many, many years, Jews were able to pray at the Western Wall, which is the holiest site in, Jeru in, 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 Jew in Judaism, which is the leftover outer wall of the Holy Temple. Um, to this day, it still stands. And it became a mass kind of like migration to the Western Wall to see it. And to, to, it was a mass emotion and an outpouring of emotion. And what was the first thing you saw when you came to the Western Wall? Was a bunch of Chabad boys putting tefillin on people. And everybody, the entire Israel had, you know, kind of paraded into the Kotel, into the Western Wall uh, area. And they were all putting on tefillin and it became a very kind of spontaneous ad hoc situation where people were just kind of just showing up with their own tefillin putting it on everyone they could see. Um, and eventually, a few weeks later, people kept doing it because it kind of became like a phenomenon. People were, you know, um, even though the war had ended. Um, and the Rebbe actually said a couple of weeks later to make it permanent. And if you go to the Western Wall today, you'll see uh, one of the first things you see when you arrive is a beautiful booth um, that's set up and with full-time, you know, rabbis staffing it, uh, putting tefillin on all those who come, selling tefillin for a reasonable price, which is what the Rebbe wanted. And it's become like an iconic uh, part of the uh, Western Wall experience. <coughs> um, now, post-Six-Day War, 
Um, the question was really like, is this something to be continued? I mean, we all understood that this was something for the war effort. Um, what do we do now? It's kind of a feeling we don't want to stop doing something good, but you know, what's the reason to continue? Um, the actually just to mention, the Boston Globe actually had an article about it uh, a few months later about this phenomenon, and they said. These are their numbers. Um, this was in November. So the war was early June. This was November, a few months later. They said over 400,000 people had put on tefillin um, since, the, uh, since the war had started. Um, and again, during the 1970s War of Attrition and the Yom Kippur War, um, again, the campaign re-intensified. Uh, you had people driving through the, uh, the war fronts, putting tefillin on people, on soldiers. Um, and the Rebbe actually paid for any soldier who committed to put tefillin on every day, the Rebbe would pay for a pair of tefillin uh, for them to keep. And many, many people till today are putting on tefillin with that same pair of tefillin that was purchased by them by, during the war, paid for by the Rebbe. Uh, now, about a few months after the war, again, this question had arose, uh, what are we doing now? Why are we still doing this? Um, the Rebbe addressed this, saying, you know, number one is, unfortunately, not to scare anyone, there are still, you know, there are still those who wish to destroy us. We haven't... Uh, we haven't figured that one out yet. Yes, there was a resounding victory, but uh, if they could, they would. Um, so this is a way to provide protection you know, in a physical way, and also it provides protection in a spiritual way. Um, and another uh, answer the Rebbe explained why to continue is, um, and this is a little more difficult to hear, is the Rebbe said that um, the re Jewish response to the Holocaust, uh, this is not easy to think about, uh, was not as good as it could have been. Um, both physically uh, in a material way um, to rescue Jews from uh, Europe and also in a spiritual way. Um, there was no mass kind of uh, spiritual awakening. It was, if anything, the opposite. Um, and the Rebbe felt that we had now entered a new era, and the Rebbe based this on you know, some verses from the Torah, how we have now er entered a new era where when there was a threat to Judaism, a threat to the Jewish nation, it was a mass spiritual awakening. Uh, Jews from all stripes and all ages and all different backgrounds throughout the world had really um, embraced their Jewish faith in the days leading up to the war and during the war. And many had felt that that really contributed to the, the amazing victory that there was. Um, and also, in a physical way, in a material way, Jews around the world were, were providing support for Israel. And the Rebbe felt that this was a major opportunity to really... Um, to build on that and to build on this new sentiment in the Jewish world and to continue with this amazing campaign of tefillin that was until then massively successful and has really continued since to be massively uh, successful. Um, now, there were those who didn't love the campaign. You know, they say two Jews, three opinions. Uh, there were those detractors. Um, and the Rebbe said some of them were valid. Um, and the Rebbe addressed them. Um, and some of the detractors were, were kind of you know, without reason, but there were those that had valid reasons, and we'll go through them now. Um, the basic question was, you're putting chillin' on a hippie, the guy's about to walk into a non-kosher restaurant, eat a cheeseburger, what are we accomplishing? It's a one-time thing, you're catching someone outside a Subway or outside a McDonald's. Is that, you know, first of all, is that person even fit to put on chillin'? Uh, second of all, it's like a one-time thing. While he's on his way to, you know, to violate the Torah, why? What is the what is the reasoning for this? 
Uh, now we discussed in the beginning why number one, uh, you know, a bit of an answer to that, which is that every mitzvah on its own right is an infinite value. Um, another thing is, um, another question is, it says in Maimonides, um, you cannot use, it uses mezuzah as an example. The mezuzah we put on our door, it says you cannot use a mezuzah like a good luck charm or an amulet. Um, and seemingly what we're doing with Trillin is we're using it as an amulet, as like a good luck charm, as a, as a, uh, 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 forgot the word for it, there's another word. Um, how do you explain that? Uh, so the Rebbe explained that. First of all, Maimonides explains in other places that you can't use, you know, Torah verses as incantations or you know good luck charms or lucky spells, but you can use it as a way of invoking merit on yourself and on really all Jews because we're all connected um, to bring protection. Um, and that's really what we're doing. We're trying to bring protection to the Jewish nation. And another thing is, is there's a concept throughout Judaism. Uh, that, like, fake it till you make it. Uh, even if you're doing it for protection, you'll start doing it, and eventually you'll do it for the right reasons. Um, what's not for the right reasons will eventually become for the right reasons. Um, and now to answer, what's the point if it's really a, if it's just a one-time thing? So if you're going to tell me it's a one... First of all, not necessarily it's a one-time thing. Uh, for those who've put on phone, it's an inspirational experience. Uh, people tend to often follow up and do it again and get more involved. Um... And there's also a concept called mitzvah, gorreras mitzvah, which is that one mitzvah kind of begets another mitzvah and causes another mitzvah. It's kind of like a chain reaction. That's a concept throughout Judaism. Uh, so that's an answer to that. Now let's say, uh, that's if it is a one-time if it, if it is a one-time thing. Um, again, to answer, like we said before, Maimonides says to view the world as an even scale, one small deed can tip the scale. Um, so even if it is a one-time thing and you don't follow up, this one deed has infinite value and can really bring redemption to the entire world. Um, and also, there's this concept in the Talmud um, called Pasha Begufan, which talks about a person who sins against God with his body. Um, it, says, it says pretty difficult things to hear about such a person. Um, and later on, it discusses what is someone who sins with their body. And it says one of the ways a person is declared and put in the category of sin, sinner with their body is, it uses the word, a skull that has never worn tefillin. Karkafta delay monach tefillin. So the Rebbe says, even if it's an only a one-time thing, number one is you can tip the scales and change the world for good. Number two is you can remove this person from the category, the spiritual category of a karkafta, which means a skull that never put on tefillin, which we know from the Talmud, is not the best category to be in. Um, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing for you to help another Jew um, become into a category of a monach tefillin, a person who's worn tefillin, which really, we understand from the Talmud, changes their, the outlook and the rest of their life. Um, there's also a mitzvah, a commandment called tochicha, which means rebuke. Um, classically, it's understood as if you see someone doing something wrong, you got to let them know they're doing something wrong. Um, but really... A deeper meaning of it is, not necessarily does it mean to, you know, got to harass someone. You see something doing wrong, you got to chase them down and let them know they're doing something wrong. Um, it also means just to help people do the right thing. Um, if you see someone that has the ability to do something good, lead them in that direction and help them do something good. Um, so if you see someone, and we know from experience that when you ask someone to put on filling, there's a pretty good chance that they'll put on filling. And if you buy the Kotel, the Western Wall, there's a very good chance they're going to put on filling. So you standing there knowing that tefillin is the right thing to do and seeing someone who hasn't put on tefillin, it's on you to help them put on tefillin. All you got to do is walk over to them with a pair of tefillin and you know they're going to put on tefillin. How do you not do it? 
Um, we know that it says, Kol Yisrael Zelazah. We are all responsible for each other. Um, so, not, yes, you fulfilled the obligation of putting tefillin on your arm, but what about the obligation to put tefillin on your friend's arm? Um, and your, your colleague's arm, and your acquaintance's arm, and your family's arm. Um, that's really... It's a very powerful reason, and it's, if, there's a lot to think about there. Um, there was a, there's a rabbi in, in, in Minnesota, uh, Rabbi Moshe Feller, is a legendary rabbi who always used to say, you know, like the old American Express ads, uh, don't leave home without it. To say, don't leave home, don't leave home without your tefillin, uh, because you might bump into someone who you have the ability to help put on tefillin, and it's on you. It's, it's be a good citizen. That's part of being a good Jewish citizen is to really not only put, you know, fulfill the obligation of putting tefillin on yourself, but fulfill the obligation of putting tefillin on your friends. Um, so that was, uh, you know, another reason that the uh, uh, the Rebbe would get the Rebbe would give uh, consistently. Um, and, very often about putting tefillin on others. Um, there's a story, there was a legendary uh, Chabad Chassid, a follower of the Rebbe named Reb Mendel Futafas, who, who was put in prison in the Siberian Gulag for 14 years uh, in the Soviet Union for the uh, great crime of spreading Judaism and running a sort of underground network of Jewish schools and uh, educational institutions. He always used to talk about how every thing in life he would try and learn a lesson for, from, and especially in his 14 years in, in the gulags, in prison, he would, from every prisoner, he tried to learn a lesson in his Jewish life. Um, and one day he was sitting with a, a prisoner uh, who, in his prior life, had been a, a deep-sea diver for the, for the army. Um, and what his job was is if, some, if, there was, if they lost something underwater, if a ship sunk, uh, sometimes it was valuable minerals, metals, things that they needed to rescue or sensitive information... They would send the deep sea divers down and they would bring up the whatever was valuable from the ship or the whole ship. And he said, generally how they would do it is they would attach a hook to the ship, to the boat, and they'd pull it up. But if the boat had been underwater for over a month or so, it would start decaying. And if you put one hook in, it just will tear off that little part of the boat. Um, so what they would do is, he said they would put, bring a mat with hundreds, sometimes thousands of small little ropes with little hooks on it. They would put the mat around the boat they would attach these thousands of little hooks to the boat. Uh, he said they would blow like ear under it to kind of lift it off the ground, and they would use all these little hooks together to lift it up to the, uh, to the surface. Um, now, Reb Mendel would use this as a powerful lesson uh, for the Tefillin campaign. Um, we, the Jewish nation, has been in exile uh, for thousands of years, um, and we could say there's a little bit of decay, and if we want to bring us up, and if God is to bring us out of this exile, one hook isn't going to do it. Um, so all these little tefillin uh, mitzvahs, and all these, the mitzvah campaign in general, all the small mitzvahs throughout the world are like little hooks, uh, grabbing onto the Jewish nation as a whole, and lifting us as a nation together, in one piece, out of exile. Um, it's a special thing to think about, and uh, you can meditate on that for hours. Um, now, one last thing. Um, the Rebbe discussed how, you know, there are mitzvah campaigns that are specifically for women. There are mitzvah campaigns that are more geared towards men, like this one, the tefillin campaign. But the Rebbe said there are ways for women to be involved in this tefillin campaign as well. Um, number one is the Rebbe would quote the Arizal, uh, the, uh, the holy Ari from uh, the great Kabbalist, the Arizal, who would state, uh, who wrote that when a man puts on tefillin, 
his other half of his soul is also putting on tefillin with him, his wife. Um, but also, in general, that's individually, but uh, collectively as a whole, um, women can contribute to the campaign by, number one, encouraging men they know to put on tefillin. Number two is uh, they can contribute in a financial way to people help people buy tefillin. Um, and that's, the Rebbe felt uh, this campaign is not just an individual thing, but it's really a global community thing. And as a community, we have to focus on it. Uh, it goes for all the 10 campaigns. Um, and really, I think in conclusion, I think now more, you know, more than ever, it's apropos to, to recommit ourselves to this, to this, to tefillin, uh, to tefillin on our, on ourselves and onto our, our friends and our family. Um, I don't have to explain why. Um, unfortunately we are in a difficult time, um, Jewish nation as a whole and Israel in particular. Um, and we know that, you know, we're all looking for ways to help. We're all looking for ways to be involved. Um, you know, we can't run into Gaza guns blazing, but what we can do is help in a spiritual way, which we know, and we proof is in the pudding from the six day war that the spiritual help we give helps in a real physical way as well. And the best way to do this is the tefillin campaign, uh, putting on tefillin on yourself uh, is the first step. And then once you've got that down, you can start putting on your friends, your family, uh, encouraging them to do the same. Uh, in general, tefillin is a beautiful thing. Uh, it has a special power to bring redemption to the world, safety to the world, harmony to the world. It creates a, a balance because we're connecting our mind and our heart and our action together. It really can, uh, creates balance between heart and mind and soul and, and, and centers ourselves. It's a great way to start the day. It centers your entire your being, your mind, your, your action, your heart. It centers it on what's really important, on God and on yourself, on family. Um, it repels physical threats but also spiritual threats and really uh, it, it repels all negativity. And I think it's important now more than ever. Uh, in a really massive way to, uh, to put on tefillin and to really commit ourselves to helping our brothers in Israel in a spiritual way. Um, in addition to the beautiful physical ways and, and support and that everybody can be involved in, but physical is one thing, but there's also a spiritual battle being fought. Um, and the way we, we can affect that is, I think, through the tefillin campaign. Um, the men here, we can put on tefillin for those who haven't yet today. Um, and uh, for those who don't have tefillin and would like to purchase a pair, I can help you with that as well. So that's the that's the 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 down low on the tefillin campaign. <laughs> um, is there any questions or is that? Uh, to... I have a question. Yes. How is this being publicized right now? Because this is the first I've heard it. So. <clears throat> It's a good, that's, a good, that's a good question. How is it being publicized today? Um, so if you walk around the streets of Manhattan or really any major city, um, those who have lived in, in, in a major city can attest to this, specifically on Fridays, which is when yeshiva students go out and do this, but really any day of the week, there's a good shot that you're going to be bumped into by a, uh, a young Chabad boy or a rabbi asking, excuse me, are you Jewish? Uh, I've done it many times. Uh, the, you'll find it in the Jewish quarter, and you know, in Paris, where all the Jews come to get a you know a falafel. You're gonna there's a really good shot that you're gonna end up putting filling on when you go there, um, passing through Times Square on a regular Tuesday or any public place. Um, there's something called mitzvah tanks, which was instituted later, which is 
um, like uh, retrofitted mobile homes um, that have become like mini synagogues on wheels. Uh, there's a few that go out to Manhattan every day. Uh, there's a, there was a couple in LA for a while. I don't know if they're still operational. Um, they have them all over the world. I was in. I, I helped on one in Berlin once, in Paris many times, um, all over the world. And they kind of just are little little mitzvah mobiles um, driving throughout town. And really, the entire Chabad movement um, changed in a way after the film campaign. Judaism as a whole changed because a, a lot of the quote unquote outreach and and turning Judaism outwards and how Judaism has become more inclusive has really one of the foundational moments in that in that. Uh, movement was the Tefillin campaign. Um, until then, it, it, it was not at that level um, globally, to, you know, the feeling of Judaism being not just for the home and family, but really for the world as a whole, um, to take it out onto the streets. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, yes. Could you talk about the, uh, the prayer, the words that we cite yeah, so, on the Tefillin? So Tefillin, Generally, you put on tefillin, and the most important thing to say is the Shema prayer, which is kind of reinforcing what's written in the tefillin. Um, but uh, traditionally, it was worn during morning prayers, but it can be worn any time before sunset, um, from sunrise to sunset. At minimum, we try to say the Shema during while we put it on, but um, the best would be to wear it uh, while we pray in the morning. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know the solution, but you know, when I first saw Tefillin, I grew up reformed. Mm -hmm. uh, San Diego State, you know, I went to Chabad there and they were talking about Tefillin. I didn't even think they were Jewish. I thought they were just some offshoot and were just showing me some crazy thing that didn't exist. And even after they showed me Deuteronomy 6 4 about frontlets, it was, uh, I don't know, let's say six months before I just believed that they were Orthodox. And that awareness that we have today of Tefillin and the Jewish world as a whole is really due to this Tefillin campaign, which took something, like I said, from, from, from the synagogue into the public sphere. Mm -hmm. um, and even unaffiliated Jews, the average unaffiliated Jew today has definitely put on Tefillin a couple times. You know, that didn't exist at that time. That wasn't mm -hmm. a thing. Tefillin was looked at as, you know, just another one. Of, first of all, all mitzvahs in general were considered a private thing, but Tefillin in particular was just something done in the synagogue. Uh, during prayer, and that's it. Either you came to prayer and prayed with the minion in the morning, or you didn't put on tefillin. Like, it wasn't. It was for ultra orthodox, quote unquote, religious Jews put on tefillin, and it wasn't a thing for anybody else. Um, today we know that that's that's that idea has been shattered in a tremendous way. Um, so you're saying if we were to go to a reform synagogue and ask the average person coming out that they would at least know what it is? They would. I. I would highly, yeah, I would definitely believe, and I know from experience, the average, the most conservative or reformed Jew will know what tefillin is and has most probably put on tefillin um, a couple times at least and possibly even has a pair of tefillin at home, you know, mm -hmm. buried in the, uh, in, the, in the attic somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, most of those reformed Jews might have not been reformed, they might have been conservative and changed to be reformed. Uh, that's possible. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you all. Thank uh, good morning. Thank and have a great rest of the day and rest of the, rest of the week. Happy holidays. And